Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. It's family worship, so our kids are with us here. If you are kindergartner under, we do have uh, junior worship, right? That's what it's called, junior worship in the areas over there. You can take their kids to the children's area this morning. Well, if you aren't already excited about uh, today, you should be. We had a family choir up there. We're kind of uh, doing things out of out of the comfort zone. We're praying over community group leaders. You're walking all over the, the room, uh, praying with people. This is a crazy time to be at Northwest Baptist, but you're here, and we're thankful for that. Um, no, we are, we are blessed to be a part of the kingdom of God. We are blessed to have community groups in which uh, we'll talk about a lot today and through this series. Um, I've entitled this series, we're just uh, coming off of our giving series, which our church just gave $106,000 away into our city, into our state, into our world uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Amen. Yeah, let's give it up for the Lord and what he's doing in his church. I had a church member say, I've never voted on... uh, on giving money away from the church. I've only voted on spending money before, but I've never voted on this. And it is definitely something that uh, I have never been a part of either. Um, I've heard of this type of giving, but uh, I have never been experienced it. And um, um, it's a joy and a privilege to experience that with you as we at Northwest Baptist do that together. Um, And so we just finished a series called Joy in Giving. And we're at an important part in the life of God's church. Um, uh, we're, we're excited, really, for the church's heart and the love that we have for one another and for the, the church's love for Jordan and I. We, we've been here for three years, and uh, time has, has flown by, yeah. Um, yeah. About half that time has been spent in a pandemic, and so um, one and a half years, um, the last pandemic. And, and this fall, we, we've been kind of gearing uh, up um, as a staff and as leadership for a new season at Northwest, um, one, one that is filled with hope and promise, a clean slate, um, We've been able to renew our building, we've been able to renew our staff, regain our love for Christ, Um, our our financial situation has corrected um, to be able to move forward with much needed deferred maintenance in many areas of the church, Um, and and we've we've been talking about these things for a number of months, a number of years now. Loving Christ, living his mission, seeing God's people live out the gospel on a daily basis with their family and their friends in their neighborhood, with their co-workers in their schools. And we're reminded that whatever happens next, whatever happens here at 23rd and Drexel, the people that gather here, it will be for the glory of God. Amen? Our eyes are fixed upon Christ and his will for our lives. August 8th is what we're calling Relaunch Sunday. It, It will be the fall kickoff for school 
um, and the fall kickoff for the church. School starts earlier this year, and and it will be a new season for Northwest. Um, we, we're we're coming out of a pandemic, obviously, so everybody needs a relaunch, right? A restart, a reset. Um, but but here at Northwest, we're also coming out of ten years plus of decline, of instability and inconsistency in leadership at Northwest Baptist. So in essence, we're kind of starting fresh. We're not changing our name. We're not changing our programs, our leaders, or our logo. But what we are changing is our mindset and and attitude. We are changing in some ways our swagger, if you will, okay? Who we are as a result to what we do for the kingdom of God. This is God's church, and we're going to do it God's way. Our hearts are going to be fixed upon the grace of God through Christ Jesus, and together we will be an empowered people by the Holy Spirit to reach our city, our state, our country, and our world for Christ. Some of you in this room are tired. Some of you have been working tirelessly for the last 10 plus years and are exhausted. Some of you are weary and you need refreshment that comes from Christ alone. Some of you in this room are bitter from things that have happened in the past, from different church members, leaders, or programs. And you are in need of Christ's forgiveness towards those people. Some of you have been trying to carry the body of Christ on your back here at Northwest Baptist, pulling and tugging people to accomplish the mission of Christ. And you're looking at others. And what you see is apathetic to the mission of God here. And you're in need of patience that Christ had with his disciples, giving people second and third and fourth chances to do what God has called them to do. I'm not gonna lie, at one season or another, past year and a half, I have been in all of these areas. We all have. We have all gone through an intense time as the church during a pandemic, trying to shepherd and counsel And give direction to people has been difficult. But the Lord is faithful. And he is good. And he has given us an opportunity this fall to begin anew, afresh. In 2010, the church ran close to 700 people on Sunday mornings. As you can see today, it it does not. A lot of factors in which I have wrote about Um, in my dissertation, um, caused these things to happen. But we are not here to dwell on the past. We've been working through our issues for three plus years, and now it is time to move forward. It is time to forgive, to love, and seek God's face together. Summer of 2019 I did a series called The Christ-Centered Church and began to lay out a vision or a pathway for revitalization at Northwest Baptist. 
The series had nine sermons, which began to be the vision and the the core values that we would put together a few years later. The sermons were the spirit-filled church, gospel proclamation, life-on-life discipleship, being on mission, worship, prayer, community, word of God, and love in action. In 2020, we celebrated 90 years of God's church here. As we looked at the past, we looked also to the future of what God had done and wants to do again here. And the culmination of that was a celebration A sermon entitled, For Such a Time as This, as the pandemic began right around that time. We were all summoned to bond together to work hard at continuing to run the race together. And as we were beginning to see the light at at the beginning of this year in February and March, I again preached a series called Where Do We Go From Here, in which I again exhorted the five core values of worship, prayer, community, the word of God, and love in action. If you're a new person here, you've gone through our DNA class, our membership class, which we will host next week again, and you understand the vision of Northwest. If you've been here the three plus years, we've preached over this in multiple series, three series in fact, um, about where we go from here. And it is time now to put the vision that the Lord has prepared on our hearts for the last three plus years into action, into practice. And so this is what it means and we will be talking about in the next three weeks for the relaunch on August 8th. We've entitled this sermon series Alignment, God's Church, God's way. This morning we turn to a passage I think that speaks to us in great ways and spoken to me in studying this week in great ways about how believers continue in the faith. Continuing in the faith in the midst of a broken world. I think it's relevant to us at Northwest and I think it's relevant to us as a people and what we are going through today. So James chapter 13, 5 verse 13 is where we will begin this morning. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 5 verse 13 in the New Testament. James towards the middle closer toward the end of the New Testament. James is the book. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word. We will read that together and we will look at what it looks like to have prayer in community with one another. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him in oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has power, has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. 
Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the world that we live in, that we get to show your grace and mercy. Father, through your church, through your people, and we ask, Father, we plead today that we would see the very importance and the truth about prayer in the life of the body of Christ, and that, Father, we would see what it entails to continue to run this race as a believer with enduring faith, a faith that lasts, a faith that will stand. And Father, we pray that we would become a church with an environment, with an attitude in which people's faith stands and that we will fight the enemy Father, for the souls of people through prayer. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you know this yet, but we live in a broken world, right? You guys, you guys understand that? Uh, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to go very far on your television set, on the internet, uh, you don't have to f- go very far walking down the street. You don't have to go very far walking in the mall. You don't have to go very far from your house anywhere to understand the brokenness of our world. Um, on, on Wednesday nights, throughout the summer, we've been doing this series on, called Fishing. And Scott, our, our pastoral resident, has been teaching uh, people the importance of sharing the gospel, being fishers of men. And uh, he's been challenging us to go to share the gospel cold turkey with people at the mall. Probably one of the most awkward things you could ever do, okay? And uh, he's been challenging us as believers to strengthen our faith, to be able to talk to other people about our faith. Now, um, you know, I, I, I used to do this all the time. Uh, as a missionary, this is what you do as a missionary. Um, I've done it on mission trips all my life. And every time I, I go to do this, I still get a little uh, pit in my stomach. I'm going to go talk to people that I don't know about Jesus, about the good news message that Jesus saves them from their sin. And I was bringing my dad this week to go do that on Wednesday night. And um, I could feel myself getting a bit nervous as we were walking into Penn Square Mall this week. And um, I, could lo- I looked over to my dad and I thought to myself, he's real nervous. If I'm nervous, he's real nervous. This is, this is a little, little difficult. He doesn't do this very often, if ever. And we're going in here and we're going to share the gospel. So uh, in a moment of trying to talk to myself, I turned to him and I said, just remember... Um, every person that we walk by in this mall, every person that we get an opportunity to talk to, they have a story. 
And they are in need of the hope of the gospel. Because guess what? Most often, the people that you talk to are hopeless. Without hope. And they know it. They're they're not willing to admit it at first. But they know it. And they need encouragement. I guess most of you in this room need encouragement today. I'm guessing. Not just non-believers need the hope of the gospel. It is me today. All of you today need the hope of the gospel. And so we're walking through the mall and we see this kid and he kind of gives me a head nod and I'm like, wow, that's person of peace right there. He responded to my eye lock on him. I'm going for him, right? And that, that's just how it happens. So uh, I, 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 I kind of locked eyes with him. I said, what's up? And he kind of responded and, and looked at me. He didn't just duck his head the other way. And I thought, okay, person of peace right there. So we just sat down. I, I didn't even have an intro. I just said, hey, can we talk to you for a minute? And we sat down and we talked to them for over 30 minutes. Um, my dad began to share his story with these young men. One was 20, one was 18. And um, he shared his story. Then I shared with them the hope of Jesus Christ for salvation for sinners. And um, they were interested in the conversation, we said, can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And a young man, 20 years old, just kind of said, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really tell people this, but I, um, I don't want to live. 20 years old, doesn't know us from Adam. We're sitting talking to him for 15 to 20 minutes. And he tells us this. And dad begins to pray over this young man. And I'm thinking to myself, man, he's praying a long time. These kids are going to want to go do their thing in the mall, whatever is happening. And he's praying. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is too long. His prayer needs to wrap it up. And the young man starts crying in the middle of his prayer. And I, I realized when we, we opened this text, the scripture up, it's not just for the non-believer. It's for the believer. It's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. We need people to pray for us. We need it in the worst way possible. And this, this, pow, this, this passage shows the power of prayer in community for one another. That's our church. That's who we are. Yeah, it's awkward. It's awkward to go pray for your community group in your community group. It's very awkward. But this, listen. Life is more than just awkwardness. It's impacting the lives of people. Um, In this section of scripture, we understand something quite weighty. 
And, and, and at first glance, if you, if you don't look closely at this passage, you miss it. You're hung up on the oil and the healing. But the point is this. God uses his church as a means to keep the brothers moving, to keep their faith going. It's a, a means of eternal security. Look at what he says in verse 19. My brothers. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about the church, the people of God. If anyone among you, that means the church. If anyone is among you, members of the church, wanders from the truth. And someone, who is that someone? Someone in the church. One person doesn't have to be a leader. It can be anyone. Someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever, who is that whoever? That's that someone. Brings him back a sinner from his wandering. Will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, God uses his church, his people, to exhort, to encourage, to pray for those who have wandered from the truth and are in need of coming back to Christ. Who will save him from his soul and death and will cover a multitude of sins? Who, who is it? Who, who, whoever. Whoever will save his soul. Shouldn't it, shouldn't it say Jesus will save his soul? Shouldn't it, shouldn't it say God will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins? We know that, that Jesus does that. We know that God does that. But he does it through his church. He does it through his people. He does it through the whoever will So the people, the church, are the means in which God uses to save those who have wandered from the truth who are in the church. Man, this changes a lot, doesn't it? No doubt God is the one who holds your salvation. He is the one who carries it to completion. But he uses the church, the people of God, by his Holy Spirit to hold on to his children. He uses you and I and the community of believers to bring people back into fellowship with him. We are part of that. And so how does James tell us that this happens? It's done in prayer in community. Prayer in community, which we look at this morning. So throughout this book of James... He has talked about the endurance or perseverance of saving faith, faith that lasts. Brothers and sisters, we are not building a program that people like for three months and then move on to the next hot new thing, next hot new church with cool lights and smoke. We are not building that. What we are doing is building something upon which is an eternal foundation, which is Christ. If we build upon anything else, it will fade, and it will be a fad, and it will go away. 
building faith that endures, that will not be shaken, by centering it around a love for Christ and living his mission together in a community of believers is something that we value. It is something that we cherish. So this community that you're a part of, it may be a little more important than you think it is. It may be a means in which God awakens you to your sickness and God's needing to heal you. Why? Because prayer is to be done in that community. Let me give you some context for chapter 5 here of James. James is writing to the Christians who are scattered throughout the world as a result of intense persecution. Some believe that this is from Stephen and the persecution that happened in Jerusalem. And they're scattered throughout the world and James exhorts them to have an enduring faith. Not a faith that washes back and forth or shifts upon the sands, but an enduring faith. And he comes hard upon the unbelieving rich to show that the judgment of God is coming. Have enduring faith because these people who have it nice today, their judgment is coming. This is what he says in chapter 5. Verse three, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. He's coming pretty hard, okay? I'm not gonna preach what I preached last week, but you can, you can see what, how all that moves together there in James as it moves in Matthew chapter six in Jesus' sermon on the mount. But then he moves to the Christians who are poor and suffering in verses 7 through 12. You see, the Christians are the ones that are enduring poverty and suffering. And and the rich pagans are enduring this wealth and this happiness. And what looks on the outside like they are great, in actuality, they will be judged. And he encourages the Christians to endure even in the suffering. He brings up the steadfastness of Job and how the Lord brought Job through great trial and persecution only for Job to see the grace and mercy of God. Job 42, 5 says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. That's 42 chapters of Job's experience of suffering, boils on his, on his body, his death of his children, all of this suffering, Job's riches and wealth being taken from him. He, he, is, he is enduring the sufferings, and yet in the 42nd chapter, he says, I see the grace and mercy of God. I see the goodness of God, even in midst of the suffering." And James is encouraging the believers in the midst of their suffering too. And he encloses the book the way that he started the book. In verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This is our first point this morning. It's this, pray in suffering and enjoy. How does James begin the book? He says, count it all joy. 
My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You have joy in the trial because it is producing a steadfast, enduring faith in God. And and what is that faith built by church? He tells us here at the end, it is built by prayer. I know I know this morning that some of you in this room are suffering. I know that many in this room are hurting. At this very moment, it's been a long year and a half, but some are battling cancer and illness. Some are battling financial difficulties. You're dealing with struggles in your marriage. And the God of the universe is inviting you to come before him asking him for help in prayer. Suffering is not enjoyable. Job spent 42 long chapters in pain and suffering before he saw the mercy and the grace of God. Abraham spent 100 years waiting on God's promise to become a great nation through a son that he could not have. David was hiding in caves, fearing for his life, stealing bread before he became king. Joseph was in the dungeon before God elevated him to all over Egypt. These men trusted in God through their suffering. We, we, we sometimes forget the power of God in prayer. Um, it talks about Elijah later in verses 17 through 18. And, and I, I wish I could spend all my time on that because it's, it's so powerful. I'm just going to give you a little glimpse of 1 Kings 17. Elijah had prayed for drought and the Lord had granted the drought upon Israel bring them back into repentance to the great God is causing their suffering to to repent. And and he calls upon this drought and and Elisha doesn't have food. And so Elisha goes to, God calls Elisha to this widow's house for some bread. The woman is at her end of her robe. She has has only a little oil and a little little dough. She's like, we're gonna eat this and then die. God tells her to go to the house and ask for it. And he asks for it. She says, I'll give it to you, but this is it. And God multiplies the bread and multiplies the oil. They begin to eat every day with the same oil and bread. God multiplies. He provides for them. And then all of a sudden, the son gets sick and he dies. And the woman, same response that we would have in this situation. What, what have you done against me, O oh God? 
O man of God. She's talking to Elijah now. What, what have you done against me? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. I thought God was for us. I thought he was blessing us. I thought he was reproducing and multiplying what we had. Why is God not there? You, you, you can imagine this person. Maybe you've been there in your suffering. But, I mean, what, why would this happen? It's a bizarre circumstance. The world comes crushing and caving down. And Elijah's response is, is that of prayer. He says, give me your son stretched upon the child three times. And this is what he said, oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the child lives. It's an incredible story of God and his working and his prayer. Right after this instance, this bizarre story, the Lord allows Elijah to go in front of the prophets of Baal and call upon the Lord in prayer for his glory and his might to come down. He challenges the enemy. Fire comes down from heaven. He gets rid of all these false prophets. I wonder if he would have had the courage and the might to be able to accomplish what God's will was for his life had he not seen and asked for the Lord in this instance before the prophet of Baal. Pray in suffering and in joy. This is what the verse says. Let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Praise or thanksgiving to God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. The posture of Christians is prayer in suffering, asking God for mercy and grace and waiting patiently. In joy, we sing praise and thanksgiving unto God for we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. So yes, we are to pray. Then he says in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is point number two this morning. Prayer is to be done in community. Prayer is to be done within the local community, which we would call the church. There are two ways to interpret this passage when he talks about, is anyone among you sick? The Greek word here for sickness is astheneo. It is, means sick or weak. The, the connotation here could be physical sickness. 
Or it could be a weakness as a result of, 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 of spiritual sickness and weakness in the part of a believer. Maybe, maybe they were in so much suffering or anguish that their faith was weak. They were sick. They had wandered away from the truth of the word of God. In either case, the person is struggling. They're not able to do it alone. And they are to call on the church for prayer. Remember in Acts chapter 6, elders, pastors, and shepherds, these, these people in the early church, the apostles, acting as, as, as these people devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So, so this kind of prayer is to be done with people who are suffering by these leaders. What's our immediate response in, in our world today when, when, uh, when we're struggling? I'll fix it, right? Like, I'm Felix, I'll just fix it, right? I'll just, I'll just do that. Uh, or, or, or it could be this, I'll Google it. I'll get a book on that. Maybe I'll even see a counselor. But, but do not, I'm not going to open up with my church leaders, I'm not going to open up with my community group, uh, I, uh, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to fix it. Uh, you, did you know that this is actually one of the ways in which God has designed for the community to be formed? You ask for help. The people around you actually go to the Lord on your behalf. people around you know your your failures your your thoughts your inconsistencies and they they plead to heaven on your behalf and if you're suffering they know that so they can pray for you these these people that the, the word here calls elders. They're, they're the ones leading the flock. Pastors, shepherds, overseers. They're representative of the people, the church. They're the leaders in that church. And they are praying over him. It says, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what does this mean? All, all, the, all the essential oil people are jabbing their husbands right now. I told you this works. I told you. You, you. you grab your essential oil, right, for whatever ailment you have, and you're good to go, and give it to the elders, and they can give it to the people. No, that, it's, no, I don't believe that he's talking about the oil for medicinal purposes, okay? I don't, I don't believe that that's what he's, he's saying. The origin of anointing was a practice of the shepherds. Lice and other insects would often get into the wool of the sheep. And when they got near the sheep's head, they would burrow into the sheep's ears, killing the sheep. 
So ancient shepherds would pour oil onto the sheep's head. This made the wool slippery, making it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ears because the insects would slide off the wool. And so from this, the anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection, empowerment. The oil in the Old Testament was used as a picture of being set apart for the work of God by kings or priests. The symbol was that the Lord was with them. And here it is used in, in this sick bed or this suffering or this weakness. The Lord is with you. We are with you. The Lord is with you. And we're going to him in prayer for you. And it should come about to bring refreshment to the person who is sick, either physically or weak in their faith. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Later it says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. He has set aside for me a special purpose. He, he knows who I am. He is with me, protecting me, guiding me, directing me. So the anointing of oil is set aside for a special, special request. It's not the main verb in the Greek. Prayer is the main command. And the description, the add-on, is the anointing of oil. It's a, a way that God has designed for us to set apart people for specific prayer. I, I can remember as a child, one of the wives of one of the elders in our church growing up, um, had a rare eye disease. She had contracted and became blind. Um, and they did this, prayed over her with oil, specifically asking our whole church to pray with them to do this. Now, this wasn't done very often. It was a Baptist church, so don't get all crazy on me here. Uh, but, but... Uh, it was so powerful and moving. Uh, she, she did regain her sight. Um, and, and as a boy, I can remember watching that and thinking, what are they doing? How, how does that work? How does the Lord work in that? And I can remember understanding the power of prayer even as a young man. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of faith is referred to in the beginning of the book. Again, he's referring back to the beginning of the book, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The call is a prayer of faith. Asking the Lord in faith. We know the Lord answers our prayers. We know this. If you are a Christian and you have prayed, you know that the Lord has answered 
your prayers before. But Rob, there's some who are not healed. I, I, I did this in Thailand. I, I prayed over a young man to, to be able to walk, and he was not healed. And I wrestled with the Lord with that for quite some time. But the goal of the Christian life is not to be healthy in this life. The goal of the Christian life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, our salvation is not from the suffering and the pain and the sickness. Our salvation is from sin and the internal judgment that will occur. Now, does God grant grace to his people and mercy to his people and heal his people? Yes, he does, according to his grace and his mercy, not according to our wants and our needs. God healed the young man with Elijah, right? He showed grace and favor to Elisha. But God is glorified in his people when they have joy in suffering or when they rejoice in his great and gracious healing. The word saved here in the Greek is sozo. It has the same connotation of, 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 of salvation, can be used for physical healing. The God who saves is the God who heals. We see this in Jesus, right? Jesus, the perfect, perfect Son of God, God Himself, the nature and the character of God Himself is Jesus, and what does he do? He heals people. He heals them physically. But what he came for was their salvation from sin on the cross. Paul was not always healed. He, uh, Paul tells he leaves a man in Miletus that's sick. He tells Timothy, go drink some alcohol <laughs> to heal your disease. God didn't remove Moses' problem of speech. God uses physical healing as a way to show his power to save, but he doesn't always do that. Joni Erickson's Tata, who's a quadriplegic, she's, she's the best on this. She said she wrestled with the Lord. And she would tell her friends, God's going to heal me. God's going to heal me. God's going to heal me. And when he didn't, she said she had to realize that there's more to life than being able to walk. And she said, the Lord will restore and I will walk again one day in heaven. But until that time, I'm gonna tell everybody else about this Jesus and the power to save. There seems to be a correlation here in this text about sickness or weakness and sin. It says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. First Corinthians eleven twenty nine through 30, in the church, they were having 
problems with the Lord's Supper. They were taking the Lord's Supper um, um, irreverently, not with the body, and uh, they were becoming sick. This is what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and some have died. This doesn't mean that every time someone is sick, they're living in sin. Look at the verse here. In verse 16, if I can find it. No, 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If he has committed sins. Suffering often causes us to examine our own hearts and minds to see if this is a result of living in sin. Sin actually causes widespread effects in one who knows the truth of the gospel and yet rejects obedience to Christ. Uh, this, This type of rejecting God's design in marriage, rejecting God's design in the family, rejecting God's design with their life, rejecting God's design for the outlook of their life, rejecting the mission of God in their life, rejecting living in community with other people, all of these designs in which God has designed, when we reject that, there are effects. can lead to depression, anxiety, loss of sleep, And guess what? All of those will cause physical issues in the life of people. So knowing and understanding the grace of God and then living for oneself is unnatural for the Christian life. can have serious consequences. Tom Elliff uh, told us a story in our IMB training that uh, missionaries have the hardest time on the field loving the other missionaries. That's their hardest relationships are amongst one another. That's what he said. We, we didn't believe it. We didn't believe it. And he said, this woman was on the field and something happened. And she became real bitter towards the other missionaries, her partners on the field, to the point in which she had to come home because she was um, so sick. And she walked into his office and she began telling all these sayings about what the missionary had done and her illness, and he put two and two together. And in Proverbs, it says that envy will rot your bones. And she had a disease in which her, her, her physical body, her bones were rotting. And uh, he said, he put the two and two together and say, ma'am, you need to repent and ask God for grace to heal you of your physical healing because of your lack of unforgiveness and as a result um, she did and she she was healed her physical stature was healed but it always does not correlate but sometimes there is correlate if there is sin he will be forgiven And again, this is done with prayer, this is done with elders, this is done with all of these things involved in the community of God. 
Therefore, confess. Okay, so this is the therefore. These are the action points. Now that we know what God does and how he does it and what he's doing in it, now we get to what we do. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the last point this morning. It's this. Confession of sin and prayer leads to healing. Confession of sin and prayer leads to healing. So what's the point? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Physically healed, renewed spiritually. Ultimately, God is after your hearts. He's after a a renewal of your heart. He is after the lost sheep. Brothers and sisters, the Lord through James is calling his church to confession of sin and to prayer with one another. Now if I was to say, hey, let's do this in this room right now. Let us confess our sin to the person to your right. We'd have a hard time doing that. You're like, is he going to make us do that? No, I'm not. But I am going to say this. You need to be in a community group. You need to be in one. This is where it happens. People are being vulnerable with one another around the word of God so they can pray for one another. They confess sin, find healing for their soul, prayer in community. We, we have a prayer team now. They meet 9.30 in this room, the prayer room, right here, house of prayer. And they want to pray for you. So if you don't have a community group, that's your community group. 9.30, prayer time. They want to pray for you. If you need prayer, if you're watching online, you're like, I can't get out and I need a pastor to come and pray for me. We're coming. We're coming to you. You need to call. You need to ask. You say, Pastor, I don't know where to start in being in community. Show up. Your community group leader will gladly, if you tell him, I don't want to say anything, I just want to watch, your community group leader will gladly say, why don't you watch for a couple weeks? Show up and see what it's like. Watch the Lord work in the lives of his people around you. Vulnerability, honesty in the life of the community. Now read verse 19. My brother's, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The community of people praying for one another is what drives healing in God's church. People trusting in God that he can and he will heal them and others around them. This is a mindset shift for us. Prayer is what ignites restoration, renewal, refreshment of God's people. 
living in a community that values prayer for one another, that wants to be prayed over, that takes it seriously, that is a community that will see God's church, God's way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace and your mercy as we open your word. We are reminded that we are sick. We are weak. We are exhausted. We are tired. We need your healing, Lord. I need your healing. I need to be reminded of the power of God, reminded of the gospel of Christ, reminded of the grace of God by those around me on a weekly, a daily basis. Lord, give me the strength to ask for help. Give our people the strength to ask genuinely for help in their life. Not only in sickness, but in weakness, in trials, tribulation. Help us to give generously to one another in our prayer for one another, in our time, our effort to encourage one another. Help us to be vulnerable people of God. Lord, we thank you for this church, what you're doing. May you strengthen us to be your people. May we not let the sheep go. May we go after them, praying for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.